It's January 14th, 2015, and welcome to another edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's technology. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. First, we'll cover some local signs and tech stories. We'll talk a little bit about CES. Then, Nicole Velasco from the Neighborhood Board Commission will tell us about their board elections. Then, Jay Fidel from ThinkTech will join us to tell us about the upcoming State of Science panel. Finally, we'll talk EPSCOR, or Experimental experimental Program to Stimulate Competitive Research. Both Kevin Kelly and John Rand are here from the University of Hawaii to tell us all about it. Have your questions and thoughts ready to call in, or you can tweet us on Twitter. But first, the headlines. Robotics may be a hot topic among geeks, but a pair of bots developed by NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory is pushing the boundaries of extreme environmental exploration. Last year, a research team sent Volcano. Volcano Bot 1 into a fissure atop Kilauea on the Big Island. Now they're making plans to return with Volcano Bot 2, a smaller and lighter model that will continue to help scientists better understand how volcanoes erupt. The first Volcano Bot was about a foot long with six-inch wheels on each end, and it was a design that was inherited from the Durable Reconnaissance and Observation Platform, or DROP. Last May, Volcano Bot 1 rolled down an inactive Kilauea volcano fissure. They were able to put together a 3D map of the fissure, but the robot was unable to reach the bottom. Volcano Bot 2 will be tested in March with stronger motors and communications equipment to be able to go deeper and send more data back to the surface. Lead researcher Carolyn Parchetta said in a statement, in order to eventually understand how to predict eruptions and conduct hazard assessments, we need to understand how the magma is coming up out of the ground. This is the first time we've been able to measure it directly from the inside to centimeter scale accuracy. The work also has implications for future space missions as well. Fissures are the most common physical features on both Earth and Mars, as well as other bodies in our solar system. The mechanics of extraterrestrial volcanic eruptions is currently a mystery. Now, you know, uh, it's kind of cool. You know, the, the, this bot has a couple of wheels and it's kind of rolling down the fissure. I, you know, I think uh, it's uh, interesting to have, you know, and see the testing that they, uh, I guess, what results from, you know, these experiments. But whether or not this will be something that could be deployed on another planet is another question. It's a start. It's yeah. a start. And, and certainly the Big Island is where a lot of these space tests are taking place. I like that Volcano Bot 1, they were really excited about it. But basically the length of the tether was what limited them for how far they could go. So this new one is there is there might still be a tether, but there's more radio transmission of the data. So maybe it can go further, uh, making it smaller. I mean, the advancement of technology in science as well. So the new one will have a pivoting camera, fewer cables, um, onboard storage. So you know, it'll bring when they bring it back up. Presuming they get it back, right. it'll also have more data there. I'm I'm, I'm also well. curious just about the you know the uh, uh, ability for it to stay in contact with the you know the fissure, the ground itself. I mean, I think sometimes I think drones might be a better way to actually explore. Th- that would areas. be quite a piloting feat, though. Yeah. <laughs> Honolulu will welcome yet another co-working space this week. The Canvas celebrates its opening night on Friday. The space, located off Pu'uhale Road in Kalihi, was created specifically for high school students. Starting with comparisons to the box jelly in Kaka'ako, the creators of the Canvas envision a space that's external to the classroom where students can develop both their hard and soft skills with peers as well as with student and teacher tutors. The Canvas will also hold regular events ranging from a slam poetry workshop to a uh, Socratic discussion to a symposium. 
Ultimately, the goal is to foster critical thinking, creativity, and innovation, and to inspire students to take ownership of their learning. Four young women, ages 15 through 18, are co-founders of the Canvas. University of Hawaii Manoa freshman Lazel Augustin, Punahou uh, School senior Tiffany Chang, Moanula High School senior Jessica Kim, and Punahou School sophomore Isabel Wong. The leadership team is comprised of 21 students from various public and private high schools serving on committees that cover things from tutoring to event planning, from journalism to videography and photography, and of course, social media. The Canvas is backed by the nonprofit Center for Tomorrow's Leaders and has received some support from the Aloha United Way. Still to sustain operations, organizers are planning to seek additional grants, rent out the space, and launch a crowdfunding campaign. Now, you know, uh, crowd, uh, well, the idea of co-working, I think, is getting, I don't know if it's picking up steam, but it's definitely, like, this is adding to the already uh, existing environment with, uh, you know, the Box Jelly, Proto Hub. Uh, you know, there's there's interest in this. And to hear four young women actually starting something up in Kalihi, that's Pretty encouraging. Yeah, and so the uh, the organization behind it uh, started by Katie Chang. She graduated from Pepperdine University. Mm-hmm. She was a government uh, governor's uh, intern in the governor's office at the legislature as well. It's based on a well-known, best-selling book called The Leadership Challenge, and then there's a variation called The Student Leadership Challenge. Mm-hmm. So I can see that they're trying to develop tomorrow's leaders. Uh, it is in Kalihi. It's near where the, the correctional facility is. It's only going to be open from uh, 4 to 7 p.m. Monday through Friday, so there's a lot of space that could be used to generate the revenue to keep the space going. Yeah, so I think, what, is it uh, kind of focused around students or or anybody can... It's primarily students. In fact, I think they were doing sign-ups through um, representatives at the schools, McKinley, mm-hmm. Mwanalua, and stuff like that. Um, but uh, their their opening is on Friday, the same day as the uh, demo day. But oh. if you're interested in high school education, this might also be a good event to attend. Sounds good. Beyond our shores, the big tech news from the past week was dominated by CES in Las Vegas. The Consumer Electronics Show draws over 150,000 people to Las Vegas each year to look at uh, the near future of tech, the event's 3,600 exhibitors run the gamut from gadgets to appliances to cars, and there's tens of thousands of products on display. CES is uh, well covered by the tech press, even as journalists sometimes curse the massive size of the show. Of course, we geeks eat it all up. And, of course, uh, what did you think were some of the sort of top picks this well, year? Well, uh, fortunately for us, thanks to the Internet, we can cover it by sitting at our desks here in Honolulu. This morning on Hawaii News Now, we talked about three of our picks. There mm-hmm. was Belty, the smart belt, which can automatically loosen and keep you comfortable even as your waistline So, might you know, I, I was kind of curious about that. You know, you put on this belt, and, and I don't know how much your stomach or tummy expands, you know, like after you <laughs> eat, but mine probably has a limit of maybe, I don't know, maybe half an inch or something. Okay. So... You know, my pants and belt are going to probably get, you know, feeling kind of tight anyway. But, you know, if you were so, – so I think if you were expanding maybe like a couple inches, I could see that. Well, being. you might – I'd say people come in different sizes. I can't believe we're talking about your pants on public radio. <laughs> um, but I do agree that your, your, your belt feels differently when you're walking versus when you're sitting. So that's one of the things they talk about. It also has accelerometers to check your motion. And basically, if you've been sitting still for more than a couple hours, it'll – you know, vibrate you to say, get up and do something. So that was one. We talked about uh, the Nixie, the mm-hmm. drone that launches from your wrist and takes a picture of you, and the bionic bird, which is a drone that flaps its wings, which sounds like something we talked about the, on the show a couple of weeks ago. So a lot of neat things at CES. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, wearables and drones really sort of took front and center. So, you know, I think that was a lot of attention. Of course, these big 4K TVs were also 
quite popular. Yeah, they're done with 3D. Yeah. No one's buying 3D TVs anymore. So now it's got to be 4K and it's got to be uh, the quantum dot, these new elements that are even more magical in making a clear picture. I think the other theme that was big was connected home, you know, door locks that you can open with your smartphone and your washing machine and, and your I think, refrigerator. I think automobiles showing up at CES was also kind of an interesting addition. Yeah, they're getting the jump on the Detroit Auto Show by talking about their technology at CES. Yeah, sounds good. And now joining us in uh, the studio is Nicole Velasco. She's here from the Neighborhood Board Commission, and uh, she's going to tell us about the open election for Neighborhood Board positions. Welcome to the show, Nicole. Bert, Ryan, thanks so much for having me today. It's really great to be back. So is this an annual thing or a biannual thing? I mean, when do board positions open up? Every odd-numbered year, Mm -hmm. so this year, 2015, the neighborhood boards have a clean slate, and they start completely brand new, and everyone has to register again as a candidate. So it's a good time to get involved. So uh, there are are elections, like other elections. There's no, like, guaranteed incumbency or anything like that. It's it's a reboot or an opportunity for a reboot for every neighborhood board. Now, um, I'm more aware now of the neighborhood board process than I've ever been, and that's largely through you and your efforts on social media. And, uh, I mean, can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, how you've kind of taken what some people might sort of dismiss as a staid, kind of old-fashioned community organization structure and made it more visible, certainly, to people who are, I would say, younger or more tech sad. You know, coming into its 42nd year of existence, we found that the board system had its biggest obstacle was that no one knew about it or that very few knew about it beyond the members themselves. So social media has really helped us expand that audience, reach new people, and then also help us promote things that are happening. And currently, that would be the neighborhood board elections. Mm -hmm. So when do the elections actually take place? Sure. So right now we're in the candidate filing period, and Mm -hmm. that's now through February 20th. Following the close of that, we'll begin the voting process, which is from April 24th through May 15th. So it's coming up. So that voting process, is it uh, like our regular elections or where, you know, do do neighborhoods get ballots or how do people vote for their, you know, let's say neighborhood representatives? So these elections are separate from all other elections, uh, the state and federal, of course. And what's interesting is that we run the only digital election in the state of Hawaii. So what happens is people register to vote. We the only part of the process that's mailed is the personal ballot code, and they use that to either vote online through this uh, encrypted website or by touchtone phone. Now, I know we covered that when that uh, was introduced, and I'm not sure if you know this, but has that allowed for a greater uh, level of participation than has been seen in the past? How, how Are you comparing it against the, the currently standard election process as a model for other elections to go forward? One of the things we've seen is elections period for the entire state of Hawaii and then certainly for the county, you know, we uh, our, our activity is not as high. So it's been somewhat reflective as we've moved on to this online forum. Mm-hmm. Of course, as people get a little more comfortable with using online elections, we hope to see a continued growth, which it has since the first election that we used uh, all, all digital. Mm-hmm. And with the, the social media aspects, have you seen a shift in the demographics of participation, if not running for neighborhood board um, awareness in or attendance? of uh, neighborhood board events? Absolutely. In fact, right now we have about 241 candidates registered, so we're ahead of where we were in 2013. And what's interesting for us is that almost 50% are brand new names that we've never seen before. So we do attribute that to opportunities like this, as well as using social media to ensure that as many people who are interested can find out how to get involved. Mm -hmm. Is there a limit to how many people can actually run for any particular neighborhood board? 
There isn't. So it's open to all residents 18 years and older and merely have uh, uh, the ability to prove residency and a compassion for a community. Mm -hmm. And anyone can run. So it's it's nonpartisan. And then when you have, let's say, uh, any board, uh, pro-city, let's say, as an example, you have so many seats and the top, I guess, if you have, let's say, 12 seats and you have 15 people running, the top 12 will get those uh, positions? Most likely, and that just depends on how each neighborhood is broken down, if all seats are at large or if they're broken down into sub-districts, similar to precincts. Well, it mm-hmm. sounds to me like Bert has a future in the neighborhood board system, and I, for one, would vote for you, sir. Well, but you're not in Pro City, but that's, so that's the problem. I see, see. I, I'm losing one vote here, and that's probably like, the only vote that I would get. Well, if uh, Nicole, if somebody wanted to find more information on uh, serving on a neighborhood board, where can they go for more information? We'd love for them to visit us online at www.honolulu.gov slash NCO or give us a call, 768-3717. Well, we'll definitely put that up on the show notes. Absolutely. Thank you very much for joining us, Nicole. Thank you for having me. And now joining us is Jay Fidel, the media mogul who uh, has Think Tech, and he's here to tell us about the State of Science panel. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thank you, Bert. Thank you, Ryan. Nice to be here, as always. So we're doing a January downtown forum we call Hawaii the state of science. Uh, We also call it a 2015 report card on our science industry. And finally, we call it by the policy question, can we build a science industry and export our best scientists at the same time? So it's a panel with many names. Yes. Uh, (laughs) Opening remarks by David Carl, who is a member of the National Academy of Science, very prestigious at the university. He runs Seymour, that stands for Center of Microbial Oceanography Research and Education. Yes, we've had them on the show. He's a beautiful guy mm-hmm. in a beautiful building doing a beautiful thing. And then Neil Adabara, who is uh, a product of the Science Fair. I'm sure he's been on the show. Absolutely. Yeah. He, and he's uh, going to bring one of the uh, students down who's one fellow named uh, uh, Chris uh, Lindsay. Chris mm-hmm. Lindsay uh, developed an exoplanet, invented Discovered an exoplanet last year in the Science Fair. Ah, uh, You know, one, our show is actually called Exoplanet Palooza. Yes. We, we kind of that's recently, our subtitle. That's, that's our Bite Marks Cafe, yeah. Exoplanet Palooza. Okay, well, <laughs> you ought to talk to him. You ought okay. to come down and listen to him, too. Sounds good. He's, he's a fantastic kid. I shouldn't say kid, but that's, he's, a, he's a kid in high school. Yes. Okay, then uh, we have Dean Peter Crouch and Associate Dean Sung Choi, of the, uh, dean, of, dean and Associate Dean of the College of Engineering at UH Manoa. I'm going to talk about the relationship of science and engineering, you mm-hmm. know. In every scientist, they say there's an engineer, um, and they say that what is what is science but applied? What is engineering but applied science? Anyway, um, then we're going to have Kim Holland does uh, shark research at the Hawaii Institute of Marine Biology at UH. Uh, Andrew Howard, who does astronomy research at IFA, the Institute for Astronomy. Matthew Koenig, an MD, does MRI research at Jabsom Medical School. And Cecilia Shikuma, uh, another MD, does AIDS research at Jabsom. Uh, so it's it's a it's a it's a crowd that will fill the ninety minutes we have for, for the sure. It's oh, a broad yeah. panel for many industries. Now you describe it as the state of uh, the science industry, and that's one thing that you know is unusual for some people to think of science as a uh, economic engine, science as a business. Can you talk a little bit about? Yeah, that? Yeah, thank you. We want we want all of these speakers to talk about two things. One is the science they're doing, but two, how does it fit in the landscape of a science industry? If you recall, Marcy Greenwood. 
uh, for the lack of a real tech industry here. Uh, you guys can agree or disagree about mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. But for the lack of a real tech industry, talked about developing a science grant industry where you, you know, the metric was how much grant money could you get in. And that's the concept of an industry. So you get big money for grants. I think we were doing mm, less than $500 million before. Uh, the idea is to do lots more than that and make that into an industry. It doesn't have the same leverage of tech. You know, it doesn't get out there and actually make really big bucks. But you get the money into the state and it's spent in the state and it, it uh, builds careers in science. So the way that works would be that the grant money would come in. So if it's a $500 million or, a, 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 let's say, a, a billion dollars, that money comes in. It goes toward the facilitation of science research. So it hires people that support that research. So it may not be in directly in the science, but it might be people supporting the research efforts, right? Yeah, we want more researchers. We want Hawaii to be a center of science. And in some ways it already is. You know, when you talk about SOAS, School of Ocean mm-hmm, Earth Science mm-hmm. and Technology, or IFA, we I mean, know the environment. Yeah. We have lots of talent here about that. But there's other things, too, we want Hawaii to develop. So we want to see an industry. And we believe, interestingly enough, after mm, 20, 30 years of trying to figure this out, we believe that if we have a real science industry, a very robust tech industry will follow. Now, I do want to get more details on this specific event, but really quickly, um, I did want to ask about ThinkTech as well, because I've certainly been watching it grow and evolve, and uh, longtime listeners of the show know that we are still working to fill the shoes left behind by you here as you went <laughs> off to start this media empire. ThinkTech is live streaming video. It's uh, enormous amounts of content on YouTube, of course, on OC16 and such. You just started a new show uh, with Gordon Bruce, the yeah, tech right. czar. It's a reunion thing. Bring him back. He was one of the founders of ThinkTech. Right, right. So I have to ask. You, do you now have basically a 24-hour CNN of Hawaii technology running? <laughs> Thank you for that question. <laughs> so we, we do 25, 45-minute shows every week. That's uh, – what is that? 25. It's five a day from noon to 5 o'clock. Um, and we do them live stream from our studio in Pioneer Plaza. Uh, we have a very sophisticated studio, I must say. Thanks to our underwriters, we've been able to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have some great hosts, some great guests. So if you want to listen, just go to thinktechhawaii.com. Uh, by the way, if you go to thinktechhawaii.com, you can also sign up for our science program, which Excellent. is which is going to be at Laniakea, the downtown YWCA, on January 22nd, starts at 11.30, runs to 2 o'clock. Very neat. Anyway, so if you want to watch our stuff, you, you can watch it on thinktechhawaii.com every afternoon. And we take that we take that video and we put it on Olelo, so it plays on Olelo for maybe six hours, eight hours a week. And then we also have a, a, a parallel show that runs on OC16 seven times a week, mm-hmm. uh, having to do with not only science, not only tech, but everything we believe is related to the, the new community that you guys are building, that we're trying to build, uh, you know, that Nicole is trying to build in mm-hmm. Hawaii. A new generation, uh, the new awareness. Yeah, you have a great uh, roster of talent uh, in terms of hosts. I mean, all the people that we've kind of grown up with, uh, are all they all have their own shows on, on ThinkTech. I think it's well, wonderful. They love the opportunity opportunity to have a platform and express themselves. This is a great way to spend your time. You guys know. know. (laughs) Well, one more time for somebody who's interested in either watching ThinkTech shows or specifically to attend the State of Science panel, where should they go? Go to thinktechhawaii.com. You'll see the description, which I've been alluding to. And there you can sign up, uh, take you to a PayPal site, and you can sign up and register to come. So uh, do it now because this is uh, one week from tomorrow. Fantastic. It's uh, it's, uh, filling up really fast. Thanks, Jay, for joining us. Thank you, Bert. Thank you, Ryan. Great to be here. And that's what's been happening this week. We'll take a short break. And when we return, we'll be joined by Kevin Kelly and John Rand. 
and talk about the uh, EPSCOR program, also known as Experimental Experimental Program to Stimulate Competitive Research. How is this NSF project tied to the environment? How does that perhaps even affect the economy? We'd, of course, love your thoughts or questions as part of that conversation. You can give us a call at 941-3689 or toll-free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. And we're live in the studio and we're monitoring Twitter. You can tweet us your questions also at ByteMarks or at Hawaii. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists, and creative artists. Hello, I'm Alexander Shia, author of The Hidden Power of the Gospels. Next time on New Dimensions, I'll be talking about four questions, four paths, one journey, representing those Gospels. Sunday morning at 11. Wherever you spend your morning, NPR's Morning Edition is there with you. Wherever the story takes place, NPR's Morning Edition connects it to you. Dallas. Des Moines. Topeka. Montana. Cleveland. San Francisco. Denver. Philadelphia. Minneapolis. Miami. Colorado. Washington. You will own your morning wherever you are when you tune in tomorrow for Morning Edition from NPR News. Weekday mornings from 5 to 8.30 on HPR One. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Whole Foods Market Hawaii, Ferraro Choi, and Ulupono Initiative. Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I am Ryan Ozawa. And joining us today is Kevin Kelly and John Wren. Uh, Kevin is currently the Deputy Director of the Center for Island Maritime and Extreme Environmental uh, Security, a Department of Homeland Security Science and Technology Center of Excellence at the University of Hawaii. John, meanwhile, is a director of the National Science Foundation, a tenured professor and director of science, technology, engineering, and math, yes, STEM, the STEM program at Kapiolani Community College. And, of course, what's the main focus of the EPSCOR program? And we'd love to hear your questions and comments. And that number to call is 941 3689 on Oahu or 1-877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. Uh, Kevin and John, we want to welcome you both to Bite Marks Cafe. Thank you, Bert. Ryan, appreciate it. Thank you so much. Now, uh, I don't know, maybe we should start with the quick correction that uh, John is at the University of Hawaii and maybe not at KCC anymore. Of course, <laughs> John, you need to change that website that refers to KCC, but we'll get into that a little later. I want I want the Kevin to tell us a little bit about EPSCOR because you know we've actually been covering EPSCOR probably as long as we've uh, been doing the show, and every so often you know we'll see uh, an interesting alert about uh, some program and it makes reference to EPSCOR. Uh, but you know this is actually probably the first time that we've had somebody on to tell us a little bit about it. And, and Kevin, I mean, tell us it's been around for like ten years, right or more. In Hawaii, it's been around okay. about 10 years. Uh, EPSCOR is the National Science Foundation program, and EPSCOR stands for Experimental Program to Stimulate Competitive Research. And what EPSCOR is intended to do is to really provide uh, opportunities for states that don't receive a lot of NSF funding, uh, smaller states that aren't as competitive as, as states like California or Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And what they do is it's the only state-based program at NSF. And they deploy money in three ways. Uh, first, they have uh, they call infrastructure improvement awards. 
and these come in two types. One's $20 million a year and one's uh, half a million dollars a year. They also provide outreach directly to states where people from NSF will come out and talk to faculty members around the state, give them ideas of opportunities at the National Science Foundation, and really help them focus their proposal writing on awards that they can win. And then finally, they have a thing called co-funding, where they take some money for people who submit proposals to National Science Foundation, and they're sitting on their bubble. They're really good proposals, and they want to fund them, and there's just not enough money. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the directorate, if it's Ocean Sciences or Biology or whoever, will go to EPSCOR and say, hey, we have a really good proposal from an EPSCOR state, and if you fund a little bit of it, we'll fund the rest. And so they get more money out to more people. It certainly sounds like an important program. And, you know, uh, doing this show and focusing on science and technology and research as we do, sometimes we think that Hawaii is just filled with great, uh, wonderful research. And it is. It certainly is. But uh, when you say an EPSCoR state, that means that Hawaii is a state that, uh, compared to the Marylands of the world, is not receiving, I would say, uh, a proportionate perhaps amount of that kind of funding. When you say competitive research, uh, the first thing that pops to my mind is like when astronomers are racing to be the first to find an exoplanet, for example. But what does that mean in regards to the program in Hawaii? What is the competition that's happening? It, it's real similar, actually, because in research, you're writing proposals, and you're going after a small kitty of money somewhere, and you're competing against everybody else in the country that your science is going to be best, mm -hmm. that you're going to convince a review panel that I'm the guy that you need to fund because my science is going to make a difference. And what EPSCoR does is by focusing on state needs, it's one of these programs that really bleeds over out of a researcher's narrow research objective and really how are you going to help train workforce? How is the research you're going to do benefit the people of the state? And so it does have this extra layer of state focus on it, unlike any other research program at the foundation. Now, I'm, I'm curious. Uh, you know, we just had uh, Jay Fidel on, and, and he's going to be doing the uh, state of science. And one of the things that he mentioned on uh, the short segment that we had him on was that the University of Hawaii is, is uh, kind of promoting the fact that, you know, they've already got a $500 million sort of research uh, uh, funding that is coming in, and they want to grow that to uh, even more, up to a billion dollars or, or more. Does that affect the ability for us to qualify for EPSCoR? It could. The way NSF draws the line is, uh, I think, at 0.75% of total NSF funding. So if your state falls below that, you're EPSCoR eligible state. If it's above that, uh, you're no longer eligible for EPSCoR. So it's a double-edged sword. Mm -hmm. if it sounds like it would be a good, pro good problem to have, though. Right, exactly. That's exactly the point. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's where we want to be. We want to be above that line. Um, you know, we have great people doing great research, and, and the jobs that are created by research in Hawaii are important. There's technicians. There's suppliers. Uh, all that research money gets spent in the state, mm -hmm, so it mm -hmm. helps drive the economy. Mm -hmm. Now, John, uh, you are the uh, Interim Director of STEM Education at the University of Hawaii System in the Office of the Executive Vice President for Academic Affairs. And uh, you are in there, in the university, where this uh, this objective of drawing more uh, research funding uh, is a pillar of the path going forward. Um, what John mentioned uh, was, or what Kevin mentioned was, the how does it help the state? How does it create, perhaps, jobs or create workforce development? Um, from your perspective, uh, how how uh, 
are is UH able to make that case when looking for funding to say that it's not just you know uh, astronomer looking at stars all day, but because he needs assistance, because he needs to do publications, because he needs to do outreach. There's a, a whole a constellation of people that uh, support that. I mean, where is UH on that scale? Yeah, and we can't forget that you know the the job of the university is to educate our students. So research is a very, very important part of that, certainly at UH Manoa, but at our our university community colleges, uh, at Manoa, at Hilo, all of the West Oahu, they're doing some really wonderful things in education and not just research. Research is a very important part of it, um, and we obviously are going to get very well known if we have some really great researchers. But, you know, they also consider themselves teachers, and some of these same researchers are fantastic teachers. Uh, so uh, my role has been they've kind of brought me in to support the research with a very, very strong education. So we just as we have world-class research, we want to have world-class, world-class education in an academic affairs area that we can uh, that we can really build on as well as we move forward. So I think they go hand in hand. It's absolutely vital that we can sustain both. So so that's the connection that, that uh, we're drawing here, which is the EPSCOR, which is Stimulate Competitive Research, and then the STEM side where you have students that are getting involved with STEM, but they need a little bit of a, a perhaps a, a bump to get more competitive in terms of their research uh, let's say procedures or, or however, you know, that is the, the competitiveness is based. I mean, EPSCOR helps to kind of give them an edge. Yeah, I think that you, you can ask yourself, you know, do you want to bring in world-class researchers to the University of Hawaii at Manoa uh, and, and, and build a program around those researchers? Mm-hmm. Do you want to have homegrown uh, PhD researchers mm-hmm. that we bring up through our K-12 system or maybe through community colleges uh, that are doing wonderful things and then have them be the ones that, that uh, will will contribute to this. Or maybe we want to do both, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that's where we're heading. I think the university has a lot of uh, vision here in in trying to blend both the research and the academic affairs side to really, you know, have answered both those questions, you know. I would add that having strong students come into a research program uh, increases your competitiveness in, in amazing ways. Uh, you know, a lot of our very successful faculty, uh, they don't spend a lot of time at the bench anymore doing experiments. I mean, they're running big research programs. And if they have great students that come in and then can pick up the ball and make new ideas and make new discoveries, that all counts, and it, it, it adds to that competitiveness that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. We're talking to John Rand and Kevin Kelly, who, among other talents, uh, work with the University of Hawaii on EPSCOR funding as well as STEM education. If you've got a question about how this program might apply to the industry you work in, or if you've got another question, you can give us a call at 941-3689 or toll-free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. And we are, of course, listening on Twitter as well. Um, John, it sounds like we're, we're looking at things that are certainly complementary, the educational benefits of the research that happens in any state, but certainly in Hawaii, and the economic benefits. For EPSCOR specifically, is there a weight, a weighting of those two factors? Is it primarily economic development? Is it uh, does education factor in the evaluation of a project, for example? The National Science Foundation funds science, and so everything is wrapped in excellent science. When you put a proposal in, you have to have a question that's going to be answered or a process that you're going to go about to answer it. But in EPSCOR especially, you also have to have a great education program, a great great mm-hmm. workforce program. You have to have 
really good community outreach where you engage the citizenry of you know the science that you're doing. Mm-hmm. And so being that state-based program, it's an extra layer of kinds of things that you get faculty to do that they may not normally do. So, you know, I'm, I'm um, kind of thinking that when a student is, let's say, in their uh, uh, doctorate program, they're doing research, I kind of think that they're going through the process of, of becoming, you know, sort of a, a researcher because that's the program that they're in. Uh, give me an example of how EPSCoR would perhaps enhance that environment uh, above and beyond what they're currently doing as a part of their Ph.D. program. I can give you an example from the, the current award that we're working sure. on. We're, we're looking at the, the impacts of climate change and anthropogenic activity on, on the ecosystems of Hawaii. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of students, uh, especially on the Big Island, UH Hilo is a strong participant. Uh, they're very interested in these things. But being able to get them out into the field to show them that it can be a, a career, and in Hawaii it it is a career for a lot of resource managers and, and those kinds of occupations because that's what our economy is built on. Mm-hmm. If we don't take care of our ecosystems and our environment, people won't come here anymore. So being able to engage students in that way uh, really helps the state improve its not only its economy but its environment and so how would the, how would the EPSCore funding help them to get out in the field? I mean would it uh, give us an example of that? So we have uh, research teams. Without EPSCORT funding, they couldn't, for example, start their boats up and go out and do their sampling. They couldn't buy new instrumentation. Uh, They couldn't have access to computer programs where they can visualize their data in new ways Mm -hmm. and communicate those kinds of results to the public. So having the resources to be able to engage a large number of people in those activities on a specific topic is really unique to EPSCoR. Mm-hmm. Now, John, one of the things that uh, that that he mentioned was sort of that outreach and making people aware of the work that they're doing, the value of the work that we're doing. Certainly here at Bite Marks Cafe, Bert and I revel in that opportunity to shine a light on some of the excellent research happening here in Hawaii. But one of the things that comes up in some of these conversations is that scientists aren't necessarily public relations people, <laughs> aren't necessarily um, focused on that aspect of it, um, for in your for, uh, from your perspective, is that something that is a uh, that is just basically sure it should be the university relations office that helps you with that, or is there going to be a part of STEM education where it is going to be evangelizing the work you're doing as a scientist? Well, you know that's really an interesting question because um, I worked at the National Science Foundation, and in fact, I'm only recently back in Hawaii for about a year. But um, pr- previous to to being in Hawaii, I was at the National Science Foundation, and one of the things that they absolutely require uh, at the National Science Foundation is two things when we, when we evaluate a proposal. One is the intellectual merit of the proposal. That's kind of the research and why is the research good and how does that work. But the second thing is what is the broader impact of the research? How does your research affect the community that you live in? How are others going to be able to become a part of that research? And it's really stretched these researchers to begin to look at, well, you know, I can't just think about my little thing, my little research uh, kind of hypothesis, but I need to think about how am I going to promote what I'm doing? How am I going to promote uh, this both locally and nationally? To, to how do I get more students involved in this type of research? How do I train my graduate students to? So is this, um, is this something that the NSF is a philosophy that they're applying to all of the uh, research 
grants that they're looking to fund, or is it just a, a specifically you know a, a applicable to the EPSCOR? No, this is uh, absolutely required for pretty much every single proposal that comes into the NSF door. It was established by the National Science Board in 1997, and they came out and said, these are the two things that you need to write to as you propose to us at the National Science Foundation. And, and that, that concept of broader impact and broader participation has trickled now into uh, the NASA language for all grants and solicitations mm. as well as, you know, the Department of Education and so on. I, so. Can, I can see where, you know, from, a, from an environmental standpoint that would have some direct applicability, let's say, to Hawaii. But what if somebody is doing some research in, let's say, material science or something in physics or something in, you know, let's say, um, astrophysics? It's harder to relate that to you know our sort of environment here in Hawaii. How would they uh, craft that sort of proposal? Well, I mean, in terms of the broader impact aspect, they need to think of, well, uh, what are some of the innovative things that I might do to get more kids involved in material sciences? Are there programs going on at Farrington High School or McKinley mm. in chemistry? Maybe not material science, but chemistry mm-hmm. that could morph into something that would be very uh, useful. Uh, to a researcher. And maybe there is a group of Native Hawaiian students that are looking at some of the specific materials in Hawaii that could be made into uh, something very innovative. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe veterans uh, Mm. that are wanting to retrain would get into material sciences. So it's it's very broad in in, in what they really mean by broader impact. Mm -hmm. Kevin? NSF is a a program that they bring to the EPSCOR states called Becoming the Messenger, where they take faculty, they take students and grad students in particular, and they teach them how to communicate in a layman's term. And it's a two-day program. It gets pretty intense in the second day. They bring in you know, people from radio and TV, and they'll sit you in front of a camera and the lights, and they'll ask you questions, or they'll play reporter on the street trying to get the, the latest little sound bite. But they teach you strategies about framing, about sound bites, and... and really how to communicate what you're doing in a way that people say, wow, that's pretty neat. We're talking to Kevin Kelly and John Rand at the University of Hawaii and about EPSCOR funding and STEM education. If you've got a question, the experts are here to answer at 941-3689 or from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. We're also listening on Twitter, and we have a question from John on the mainland, in fact, and he's asking, how do we persuade people that climate change is real and a threat to security and the economy? And I mean, I know there are uh, South Pacific islands that can see a direct relationship between climate change and the survival of their their nation states, let alone their economy. But in Hawaii, I'd say it's very relevant as well. If our beaches disappear, then one of our major marketability things disappears. So it's a science question, but also an industry question. Uh, John, what do you think about that? Well, I think it's absolutely at the forefront of of our thoughts here in, in Hawaii and in certainly in the Pacific. I, I was I was very fortunate when I worked at Copuland Community College as a professor to be able as a STEM director to go down to visit, for example, the Marshall Islands. And there's no question that they will be impacted in a major way mm-hmm. there. And uh, so I mean, they're, they're literally going to have to leave the island unless there's some sort of innovation that goes on the island and, and, and change in infrastructure or something like that. So it's a very real thing that's going on here. And in terms of convincing the public, I, I don't know that it, the public is necessarily the ones that need convincing. There are certainly factions and groups uh, within our country that that clearly have different ideas about how this is uh, how uh, global impact is the globe is being impacted. And uh, 
I don't know exactly how we, we can go after those particular factions to, to convince them, but I don't believe that there's too, met, too many in the science community that are not on the bandwagon mm-hmm. at this point. And uh, Kevin, in terms of the, the EPSCOR funding, that tie, again, tying that relevance to between science and what people have to experience or what they need to survive is, is, is central for sure. It is, absolutely. And you know, a lot of the people that we work with or our researchers work with actually – they, they see differences. Uh, Big Island, for example, where rainfall used to come 3 p.m. in the afternoon at the ranch. And when I was a kid, I used to play in this lake. Well, the rain doesn't fall there anymore. It falls you know, a few hundred feet further up the mountain. And there's a recent article I read where you know, more people believe in climate change now. Or you know, I hate that because it's not a belief system. <laughs> it is what it is. But a lot of people are more convinced that climate change is real which is good, but the reason they believe that is because they've seen it. And so, you know, you win the battle, but, you know, lose the battle winning the war kind of thing. You know, I like uh, the idea that the NSF is is now promoting the uh, effectiveness of, of scientists to communicate because I think we're actually seeing more young scientists blogging and doing, you know, videos and getting out on social media and actually telling people about what they're doing. So I want to uh, get back to that and, and talk a little bit about the uh, education. And I uh, want to hold that thought. We'll be right back on this short break to continue our conversation with uh, Kevin Kelly and John Rand about EPSCoR and STEM. What are some of the diverse ways that research is contributing to the state? We'd, of course, love to hear from you as well. 941-3689 is the number on Oahu or 877-941-3689 from elsewhere. This is Bite Marks Cafe. If the Oscar is the film industry's highest honor, well, then the Golden Raspberry, I don't know. The way you can tell a Razzie nominee is, is you're watching it on a plane and you still think about walking out. I'm Kai Rizdahl, the man who started Hollywood's worst of award show, next time on Marketplace from APM. This evening at 6, following Bite Marks Cafe. On the next Radio Lab. Crazy things happen when you translate crazy texts. We get lost in translation. It started to tickle. Takes a little longer to say. Sounds like something that might happen to your car. Translation on the next Radio Lab. Saturday morning at 10. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund whose contributors help Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to the St. Andrews Schools, which includes the Priory School for Girls, the Prep for Boys, and Queen Emma Preschool. Welcome back. This is Mike Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. And we're talking to Kevin Kelly and John Rand about the research projects at EPSCoR and its relationship to STEM education. You know, right before the break, uh, we were talking a little bit about the, uh, I think, the NSF and their approach to getting scientists uh, more into the education, the public education side of things. And I think that's pretty interesting. Of course, if you've got a question or comment, feel free to give us a call here. The number is 941-3689 on Oahu or 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. So, so uh, um Kevin, you know, when we, as, as uh, we do the show, we've been doing it for going on uh, seven years now, uh, and we do notice that a lot of young scientists, a lot of PhDs, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of getting 
more into leveraging the various tools that they have at their disposal to get the word out. Uh, you know, Christy Wilcox, uh, she's you know one of the active science bloggers, and Kim Binstead. I mean, they're doing the uh, the simulator on on uh, the Big Island for for Mars, and you know they got great blogs, they got videos, they you know they're really good at sort of getting the word out, and and uh, I think you know we don't see it, but have you? St- obviously, it is working, right? I mean, the ability for the NSF to kind of point to this particular area and say, hey, you guys got to do more in terms of the public outreach. And I think scientists are doing more of that. Well, there's there's certainly the push from the funding agencies. They certainly want people to know about what they're funding and the success that they're bringing to the country and things like that. But I also see a a new generation of researchers, as, as you observed also, And when you think about where these young researchers have come from, uh, there's two things that jump out in my mind. First, uh, the technology that they have available to them now. Uh, Being able to blog, we couldn't do that 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. There wasn't a way to be able to communicate in that format. And there's many other communication channels now that are just so easily available. You can make videos, three-minute videos. And YouTube's loaded with great videos of great ideas and, and cool research. But also, I think young researchers have grown up and and in an environment where collaboration is the norm uh the competition between you and me isn't as great now as it used to be it's more what can we do together and and part of that is you know the short funding funding's hard to get it's mm-hmm. much easier to collaborate and work with your best people to, to win those awards so those two things the collaborations and and the communication tools that are out there i think are really changing the way science is communicated and and hopefully impacting the public's appreciation of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, John, are you seeing throughout the university system, if not just, you know, uh, Christy Wilcox, certainly a, a great example, the the High Seas Project on the Big Island and watching YouTube videos of them trying to cook at high altitude. I mean, it really does have an impact, I think, on public perception. What else are you seeing? Well, I think some of our best ambassadors are the fantastic students that we have that are coming out of, out of colleges in Hawaii. Uh, the UH Community Colleges, uh, for example, are very steeped somewhat because of the EPSCOR project, the last EPSCOR project, which funded the community colleges to begin students in a career of research very early on, which we found now at the National Science Foundation level that is a best practice in education. If a student feels like they are engaged and they are learning what they need to learn to become a researcher, uh, they can begin that process very early on. I mean, even as early as K-12 now, we're starting to see that kids can really engage in beginning to learn about research. And one of the big pieces is, you know, maybe they're not doing cutting-edge research, but they're learning how to present a poster paper at a conference. We have student conferences that we run constantly uh, at the University of Hawaii. And then there are national venues that EPSCoR may uh, fund to send a number of students to mainland uh, conferences, student conferences where they give uh, presentations and so on. They become much better communicators, and mm-hmm. they become much better at presenting what they do and how they do it. Um, we've uh, at various schools. I can name a bunch, but uh, for example, at a NASA competition, uh, our students actually won the national uh, CanSat. It's called the CanSat. Mm-hmm. I think we covered uh, pro- it. Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. I mean, these, these students are doing wonderful things that are really preparing them to become researchers, and it's exactly what EPSCoR is looking to do. And these are undergrads. These are activities that previously were pretty much reserved for graduate students. Mm -hmm. But now you have undergrads competing nationally, 
And then that's night and day difference. That really gets people to say, I want to be a scientist. I'm going to go to grad school and pursue that Ph.D. No, you know, um, John, I mean, we, we um, always cover STEM. And it's probably one of our uh, favorite topics along with uh, exoplanets. But uh, <laughs> I, I'm kind of curious, you know, we've covered STEM but have always wondered, you know, whether there's sort of a overarching strategy that Hawaii might be, uh, uh, you know, focusing their attention on. And, and now that, you know, we've now identified you as the interim director of STEM education, maybe you're the guy. Uh, can you... Maybe we can spend a little bit of time talking about what is Hawaii's strategy for STEM. And uh, I know high schools do STEM, but they're all different kinds of projects. You could have Science Olympiad. You can have the Science Fair. You can, you know, have a variety of different things going on, robotics, all related to STEM. But is there a overarching sort of um, big tent organization? Big tent. And can we point to things that say, yes, STEM has contributed to jobs in Hawaii or better employment for the graduates that, you know, result from the STEM program. Uh, are you the guy that we can have come on and talk about STEM more often? Well, I'd, I'd love to think so. I, I uh, am new enough at the job that I think we're building it still, but I think that the University of Hawaii has had the forethought to begin to think about how do we bridge uh, the all the way from the K-12 schools in, in STEM activities through graduate school and then with a lot of different uh, points along that pathway where, where students might be able to engage in workforce and, and maybe get off the pathway, go out, work, gain full employment in STEM, get back in and try to figure out how to continue their education if that's what they choose to do. So one of the things that the university has been really uh, promoting is um, – what we're calling pathways with a purpose. Mm-hmm. So the idea is that uh, we want to try to develop a pathway that leads students all the way from when they're in middle school and they're starting to begin to say, okay, I really am interested in sciences or in mathematics or in engineering. Uh, are there some particular courses that I should take? Is there a curriculum that I should follow? Should I be in this academy? Should I go into a CTE program? I'm sorry, career and technical mm-hmm. education program. And and the idea is to try to maybe find a way to develop some real specific pathways that get well-defined as you move in your academic uh, maturity. So you start off, you can, you know, taking chemistry and physics and, and a lot of these courses, uh, calculus, and you're moving, you can move back and forth. Maybe I want to be in life sciences. Maybe I want to be in physical science. I want to be an engineer. You can do that. They'll allow you to move around. But as you work your way along the path and you maybe work your way to the community colleges, now you get some real specific paths that we want to define at UH that are areas that we want to concentrate on. And we've been able to do that by uh, investing in new uh, degree programs. There's a new program at the community colleges called the Associate of Science in Natural Sciences with concentrations in engineering, physical science, life science, we're thinking about uh, adding a new one called data science, which is sort of innovative. Ah, uh, Bert's very interesting. Yeah, <laughs> we're talking about uh, so a number of these. And another one that we're we're hoping to put on the books is um, uh, ocean, earth, and space as kind of a pathway. Mm-hmm. So these kids could kind of find out what courses specifically they should be targeting, and parents can t- can help their students and and counselors to figure out how to get get these different pathways uh, well-established. The idea is that at the transition points, students might be able to come into the path 
and, uh, and, and work their way through the path, or they might be able to move out of the path and so, go into so workforce. That's great to hear. So you're seeing it from you know, sort of your uh, position as the director. How does a student, let's say at Mililani High School, interested in, in science, uh, maybe getting uh, turned on by the environment, who at that level is going to help them understand the pathway? Well, I think that that's going to be part of my job, I would think. Getting uh, down to that, the well, level of I, the high school? Or? I mean, I met yesterday with a group uh, of, of K-12 administrators, in, including the superintendent of the schools, uh, to talk a little bit about how we want to do this because we really are committed to trying to build the whole path. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't think it can be, well, these are your students and then you hand them off to these folks and then you hand them off to the university or something. I think the university has to be well uh, you know, in communication with the community colleges, and the community colleges need to work with K-12. And, and some students, of course, will go directly to University of Hawaii at Hilo or University mm-hmm. of Hawaii at Manoa. We need to really define how we want these kids and what courses we want them to take. Uh, I think it's probably dangerous at a stu- for a student in Mililani who's maybe in middle school to say, oh, I want to be a you know, uh, uh, a hurricane specialist. I don't think we're ready to have the job defined at that point. Mm-hmm. What you need to get find is what, what are the courses that you, you think are going to be good for STEM? And they don't have to pick the pathway at that point, but as they work their way more and more up academically, mm-hmm. it's going to get more and more well-defined, and the counselors will have, you know, real specific check sheets. Okay, you need if you want to do engineering, you better go here. If you want to do tsunami research, you better go maybe go to the community college and get an OES, an, an Ocean, Earth, and Space uh, ASNS degree, and then go work for the Hurricane Center. Or no. maybe you want to go and you know, become a Ph.D. researcher with, with Kevin and EPSCOR. Well, John, I'm glad to hear that uh, you're willing to be one of those people who can be uh, a central uh, resource for this growing community and, and important community. Uh, uh, Kevin, before we run out of time, I did want to talk a little bit more about uh, kind of the EPSCOR work that's happening right now. We talked a little bit about uh, demonstrating the value of the environment for our industry. There was very recently a great show, uh, episode of Radio Lab, a, a, a public media program that basically said that science is now starting to put a price tag on the contributions that Mother Nature makes to our economies. Um, does that sound kind of like the direction that uh, some of the projects you're working on now uh, are headed? Well, we certainly address it more from an academic research perspective, mm-hmm. but it informs those kinds of decisions. I see, I see. And, and researchers don't make policy. Otherwise, everyone would, quote, believe in climate change. Um, <laughs> if only. Right. So, you know, our job is to really provide the groundwork and provide the, a solid basis for policymaking. And, yes, I, I couldn't agree more that it all does add up. I mean, just for an example, one thing people probably aren't aware of, University of Hawaii brings a lot of tourism dollars to Hawaii through professional meetings and, and organizations that have their meetings here. It's a great place to come. You have your national, say, ophthalmologists or coming to meet colleagues at the med school, and you invite your Japanese colleagues and your Australian colleagues, and now you have a considerably large meeting here. Mm-hmm. So it, it bleeds over in all sorts of different ways, but uh, we're focused on research and, and getting the good science out there. Now, uh, maybe, Kevin, you can tell us a little bit about how uh, your role in EBSCOR is is evolving. I know we had uh, Gwen Jacobs on. She's uh director of the uh, cyber infrastructure over at UH, and she's involved with EPSCOR as well. I mean, how do you guys maybe differentiate what you folks uh, focus in on? 
Gwen Jacobs is uh, our project director for mm-hmm. EPSCOR, and I'm the state managing director for EPSCOR. Uh, we work very closely on things. She's more directing the actual research programs that we win uh, awards on. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're also both involved in helping faculty write new proposals. So right now we're in a uh, proposal writing routine where we have the track two, which is the smaller award, uh, right middle of a proposal right now, and we're gearing up for the larger track one proposal that will be due at the end of August. So we got to get all that together. Now, mm-hmm. given the long history of EPSCOR and, and your work with the program, would you say that uh, Hawaii is uh, is rising in its its ability to earn this kind of competitive research? It's still struggling? I mean, how are we doing? Overall, I think UH is doing very well. Uh, when we first started EPSCOR 10 years ago, uh, we probably had 180 to $200 million, and we went up to $480 million a year in research. And of course, that's not all EPSCOR, and sure, EPSCOR sure. can't take credit for it. But it's certainly reflective of, I think, the participation, the excitement of doing competitive research. Uh, UH Hilo, I mentioned earlier, uh, the faculty there have benefited tremendously from EPSCOR. And their students, likewise, are, are much more engaged in research. And, and they're in a, an excellent position to pursue competitive proposals on their own. Mm-hmm. So do you see uh, a continuation of NSF support for Hawaii's EPSCoR? We're certainly going to try to make that happen. We're, we're doing our best to write competitive proposals. Mm-hmm. There's 38 or 32 EPSCoR states now, and so it's, uh, it's competitive out there. Is that we, number getting bigger or smaller? It's actually gotten bigger. It huh. start, started out as a small program, and as more states found out about it, <laughs> like Hawaii, uh-huh. we just said, we, we should get in on this too. And we've done very well. Uh, but we need. But to, it's not a guarantee, right? So you got to keep working on it. It used to be more of a guarantee, and it's certainly not now. It is hyper competitive. Well, Kevin, if somebody wanted to find information about the EPSCOR program, they're doing research and they're saying, "Hey, I could use some help with competitive grant writing, for example." How can they learn more? Well, there's two places to go. We do have our Hawaii EPSCOR site mm-hmm. at www.epscor.hawaii.edu, and if you go to the National Science Foundation at nsf.gov and search for EPSCOR, you'll find more than enough information to keep you busy for a while. And, and John, yeah. where can they find the, your activity in STEM? Well, we're actually in the process of developing a website, and it's not live on the air yet. Nice. But uh, if, if anyone has any, any uh, questions or comments for me, uh, they can contact me by email. It's just uh, jrand, or J-R-A-N-D, at hawaii.edu. Good. We'll put it up on our show notes. Uh, Kevin Kelly is the Deputy Director of the Center for Island, Maritime, and Extreme Environmental Security. And John Rand is the Interim Director of STEM Education over at the University of Hawaii. And we want to thank you both for joining us today. Thank you, guys. Appreciate being here. I I appreciate it. Good chance to talk. Yeah. And thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Join us next week when we'll discuss tech policy in preparation of the 2015 legislative session. And if you miss any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can email us at feedback at bitemarks.org. And, of course, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at bitemarks. You can follow me at Hawaii. Our engineer is David Chung, and our executive producer is Beth and Koslovich. And we leave you with our song pick of the week. Here's a band called Caribou and a song called Mars. See you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe.